welcome back to part two of our interview with legendary musician John Hall. So you've been really busy this year. Not only did you release an album in May, Reclaiming My Time, but in September you released Orleans' first Christmas album, New Star Shining. Yeah, we just were thinking about what to do during the pandemic. And I did my whole solo album during the pandemic and, you know, recording at home and emailing their parts in as a digital file. So we decided when we were talking about recording some new music for Orleans that we would make a Christmas record. And we had New Star Shining, which we had cut our own version of that in 1974 for a record that um, was called Woodstock Christmas came out, I believe, in Japan only, although it's available here because it gets imported and anything's available now online. But yeah, Robbie Dupree helped put together a record with uh, Yoshi Nagato, who was a wonderful friend of Woodstock musicians. And uh, it's funny, they call it West Coast music, but it includes people like Robbie Dupree in Orleans. Uh, so it's really East Coast music to some extent. But between Robbie and, and Yoshi, they got this project pulled together and we cut New Star Shining for it and owned the track for the rest of the world, but never did anything with it. So we figured we'd start the record out with that. And our manager said, well, you know, make that the title track because a lot of people know that song already. And um, from Ricky Skaggs and James Taylor doing it, which by the way, I should have mentioned that when I was talking about favorite covers. Absolutely. That's that's a really, they have a video of them doing it too. That's uh, it's really nice. But so, uh, and then there's songs on the record, like Quiet Place, which I put out on a record. Another one that came out in Japan only on a distant star, sending to that CD. And uh, I cut Quiet Place with John Sebastian playing harmonica and me playing acoustic guitar. And I think I played electric uh, piano and bass on it too, if, if I remember quite correctly. Had Peter O'Brien overdub drums on it. Yeah, Peter. Well, actually, what we wound up doing for this Orleans version was, wasn't Peter, it's our new drummer, our latest current drummer, uh, Brady Spencer playing drums. And Lance Hoppen came up with this arrangement idea with, that he kicked around with Brady with marching drums. Coming in, uh, it's another topical Christmas song. You're probably not surprised by that. It's uh, about how some things never change. You know, hard times in the global village. People just cannot get along in the cradle of civilization. They don't act civilized for long. That's how the first verse goes. And and uh, and in the second verse, it's uh, soldiers of the sovereign nation kick the door down in the night, tear the babies from their mothers, and send the fathers off to fight. It's the conscripted army, which. Unfortunately, we're seeing currently in places like Belarus and different countries in Africa where kids are just taken away from their parents and given a gun and a uniform. So, you know, going back to biblical times and way further than that, there's been strife and trouble and conflict. And that's the setting in which the Christmas story took place. And for those who uh, celebrate it, it's a sacred time, partly because of the birth, but also because of the difficulties that had to be surmounted. But the overcoming the human spirit and the divine spirit, I would say overcoming problems of this world. Yeah, Quiet Place, when the, the soldiers of the sovereign nation come in, Brady's marching drums come in and sounds like there's a, you know, a marching band going down the street. We added the Orleans harmonies to it. And, but we basically took my 1999 recording of the song and brought it up to date and made it an Orleans record. Yeah, I wondered about that because the first thing I noticed about the album was that Larry Hoppin was on it. And as you pointed out, sadly, he passed away in 2012, leaving a huge hole. He cast quite a big shadow. Everybody respected Larry. He was a great musician, certainly. All, all the Hoppin boys seemed to be on the album. And I thought, well, I, in fact, it's. I think Linda's the only sibling not on the album. Um, she actually, she's on it. Is she, is she for on just it? a little snippet. Huh. Uh, the song Mary Had a Baby, 
which is a choral soprano alto tenor bass four-part arrangement, it starts out with a tape that Lance found in his closet when we were first locked down from COVID two marches ago. And he was among the people going through closets and taking stuff out and going, I got to get rid of this stuff and file this stuff and so on. He found a tape on the back of his closet that had a recording of Larry, Lance, Lane, and Linda Hoppin singing Mary Had a Baby with their mother playing piano. It was recorded on a reel-to-reel tape ages back. So he found the tape, had it digitized, and we included just the first half of a verse from that. And then it segues into the four of us uh, singing today, uh, Lance Hoppin, Alfly Amaro, Lane Hoppin, and me doing that four-part choral arrangement. It's the most kind of classically and liturgically oriented song we've ever done. So uh, I, I, I think it's a remarkable achievement. And the aforementioned Andrea Zahn orchestrated a string quartet for it and played two violins and a viola and a friend of hers played cello. So it's got that string backing to the four-part harmony. Let's speak about Larry for a second, if we could. I'm a musician myself. I played on a bill back in the 90s with Robbie Dupree, right here in Rhinebeck, when Robbie was working with Larry as guitar player. It was such a privilege to be able to watch Larry work. I mean, he always had things in hand. He just made it look so easy. Can you speak a little bit to his character and his musicianship? Larry was pretty much what you see is what you get. He was very enthusiastic and uh, loving and would give you his best, whether it's personally or musically, at any time. First time I met Larry was at a loft in Soho in about 1970 or 71. I went to a jam session at Harvey Brooks's house, Harvey from the Fabulous Rhinestones, who had played bass on Dylan's Blonde on Blonde, yeah, who is a famous bass player for good reason. So it was at Harvey's Loft. Paul Harris was playing keyboard, and John Simon was playing piano, and Wells Kelly was playing drums, and you know a bunch of other people. And I walked in, I had my guitar, and I plugged into an amp that was already there. There was some kind of a D-funk jam going on, and I started playing the theme to Aquarius. When the moon is in the seventh house, And from across the room, I hear somebody playing third harmony above it. And we finished this jam session and went to some classic blues ending. And then I got up and walked across the room and stuck my hand out and said, hey, I'm John Hall. That was really cool what you just did with that harmony. And he said, I'm Larry Hoppin. Shook my hand. And so we, the first time we ever met, we were playing harmony guitar together before we spoke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He won a bass contest on Dance With Me, when Chuck Plotkin was having us redo Dance With Me for the third time. We cut it in unusual fashion because it didn't quite have the feel Chuck wanted. So we cut it with uh, with Wells playing percussion on change in his pocket, spare change in his pocket, and uh, drush- brushes on a drum stool, but no drum set. And Larry playing electric keyboard, Fender Rhodes, me playing acoustic guitar. And that was the basic track. And then we added everything in. I think the drums were the last thing to go on there. When it came time for the bass part, I said, well, I, I got an idea. Because I play bass. I played bass in Kangaroo, and I you know, played a lot of bass in my life. And of course, Lance, that's our bass player, and Wells played really good bass. So we all took turns, and Larry went last, and he had that dun 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 dun, the one five three voicing. And every bass player I talked to knows that part. It's a signature of the song. It was obvious that Larry won. <laughs> that's what I was getting at. <laughs> he won the contest to play bass on that. And but you know, he's he was just a very spontaneous guy. And when we started out as a trio before Lance was in the band, we played for nine months starting in January of 72. This January will be our 50th anniversary from the first gig where we used the name Orleans. Unbelievable. And when we did that as a trio, 
Larry and Wells and I would all switch instruments. I played a little bit of drums and a little bit of keyboard and a little bit of bass and, you know, a fair amount of guitar. And Larry would play bass probably most of the time, but guitar quite a bit of the time and piano some of the time. And, uh, we all just floated around and could change keys or time signatures or songs in the middle of a song just by looking at each other going, up a key. <laughs> we could all just modulate. It's easier to do with three people than it is with four or five. The communication is is easier. You know, make eye contact yeah, yeah. to other people. Yeah, that was all part of the Larry experience. And he, I'm really glad that after I did leave in 77, that when the band reassembled, that Larry's song, uh, Larry and Marilyn Mason's song, Love Takes Time, became a top 10 record because it was, I think, validation for, for Larry and for a lot of other people as well of his uh, writing talent. We did a lot after that. We, we made a lot of records uh, with Larry and... Um, and now we've done one and a few extra tracks besides that without him. But big shoes, to be sure. to be 
Well, we're almost out of time, John, and I want to get back really quick to reclaiming my time. I want to play something off it to end the show with. But before I do, I want to mention, and I'm sure you've heard this many times since the album was released, it's very diverse musically. I mean, you've got all sorts of influences on there. You've got reggae influence, you've got country influence, you've got pop influence. There's a lot going on on this album. World on Fire, that's the reggae influence. How did that come about? John Paul Daniel and I started writing that song in January 2020 when the Australian wildfires, the bushfires were burning. And that was the front page news. We were all seeing pictures of kangaroos and koalas that were singed and trying to get away from the flames. And then we started it that January and then we got, we're working on this idea and having a little trouble filling out the, the verses lyrically. And I called Tad Richards, who's incredibly prolific lyric writer, songwriter in general, especially a lyrical specialist, brought him in on the project. And before we were done finishing the song, the fire season that year, which was terrible one, this year was pretty bad too. But I think 2020 might have actually been a little worse than 2021 as in terms of the total number of fires and acreage burned. So it was California burning before we finished and got the record done. The song starts out about communication. Let's talk to each other if we still remember how. You could say that about political parties in this country, you know, about people who should just regard each other as having different opinions, but instead seem like they think the other person's the enemy. The other side is the enemy. We're not. We're all Americans. The flag doesn't belong to any one person. And so the earth doesn't either. The chorus of World on Fire is uh, is basically a prayer. It's one of a couple of prayers in the record. Say the monarch is a prayer too. But this one uh, uses the word Jah, the Rastafari word for God, which also comes from Yahweh. And it's, it's, it's also a Jewish name for God asking for help communicating and, and loving one another, which I guess you could come down to that being uh, not to sound trite, but I'm stealing from the best, you know, <laughs> love one another as I have loved you. We use this reggae part, John, you know, John Paul had the bass part and the, and the feel for it. And I added some chords and helped, you know, fill it out and, and wrote a bunch of the lyrics to it as, as well as Tad writing it. So it's, it's a collaboration. It's much easier to write songs with two or three people than it is by yourself. I, I do have two songs on this record I wrote by myself, but only two, and there's a reason for that. Welcome Home, another beautiful song on the album. It sounds like it's obviously written about somebody specific. Can you say who that is? His name was Doug Stockwell, a friend of mine who's a Vietnam War vet. Been gone for some time now, I'm sorry to say, but Doug had a case of PTSD from his service in Vietnam and had a struggle with it his entire life. I know a bunch of other Vietnam vets or vets from other wars who have similar experiences and similar problems. Uh, this is the other song I wrote by myself, by the way, Welcome Home, along with uh, Save the Monarch. But Welcome Home, is, uh, it's, it's about trying to separate the warrior from the war. You know, Whether it's a volunteer army or a draft army, as it was back then, these men and women in uniform don't deploy themselves. They don't choose what theater they're going to or what war they're going to fight. You know, they take a vow to, to obey. Just like my brother, the priest, took a vow of obedience, chastity, poverty, et cetera. But in this case, you know, the people get sent all over the world in the name of this country. Maybe we should do a little bit better job of keeping them from going into wars that should never been fought or never been started, at least fought by us. But that's another topic. You know, used to be you had to declare war. Congress had to declare war. Now that, you know, since that Vietnam, really since the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. It's been a memorandum, like the president can do whatever he wants, as long as he asks us again in two months whether he should continue or whether we'll give him the money for what he already did. <laughs> so I mean, the Korean War was fought 
on that kind of pretense. Um, everything since World War II has been done as a permission slip rather than a declaration of war. And that makes it much easier for our servicemen and women to wind up in a place that's too dangerous. The risks are too high for what rewards might actually be there. Frequent does, does more damage to this country than it does to whoever it is we're, we're fighting. Well said. Well said. Who plays pedal steel on the album? The pedal steel is uh, Dan Dugmore, played on uh, Mystic Blue. He played the original, the steel guitar on Linda Ronstadt's version of Blue Bayou, ah. which is one of those classic steel solos. Yeah. And uh, he's done a ton of work with everybody from James Taylor to the biggest you know, country artists. And, and he's a, a great guy, too. Yeah, I wasn't sure. When I first heard it, I thought maybe it was Cindy Cashdollar, because I know you've worked with her. Yeah, Cindy played on the Orleans version of the song Home, which is is going to be on our 50th anniversary record when we get that out next year. Yeah, I saw the video. Yeah, that's good. That was, uh, Cindy was shot at Bearsville, on the stage at Bearsville. Lance and Brady and I were playing uh, in, a, in our videographer's basement uh, here in, in Nashville, having all been double vaxxed and trusting each other to be careful. Well, I want to play something off this great album before we have to get out of here. The difficulty is trying to figure out which one to play. I think I'm going to go with my favorite on this one, although I think Lessons is Josie Grant's favorite. Is that true? It Josie? is. I love that song. It's so bluesy. Yeah. It's a, such a great uh, blues tune, and it's got such clever lyrics. I mean, I like all the songs, actually. Thank uh, you. I'm going to pick one that I think is probably my favorite, and that's Alone Too Long. If I'm not mistaken, that was based on, like so many other songs that songwriters write, based on something that somebody happened to say. What was that? Well, John Paul, my, my writing buddy and bass playing buddy, John Paul Daniels, uh, wife passed away a couple of years ago, and he uh, went through the grieving process that, that's necessary, that people go through. But he was like eight months out after her death and asked another friend when it was okay to start dating. And his friend said to him, don't stay alone too long. You might start to like it. He told me that. I went, that's a song. That's got to be a song. And John Paul, I think, was feeling a little too close to that pain. So I asked uh, Tad Richards again to, to help finish it. Tad, who most people know from Opus 40, uh, he's a poet, he's a sculptor, he's a painter, and he's a great lyricist. And, and so, uh, yeah, so Tad helped write that song. And I think if there's one song I would pick off this record to kind of show what the whole album might be like, that would probably be it. Good, I can't wait to play it. It's a great tune. This is Alone Too Long.
This has been a real treat speaking to you about your career and your life, your politics. No show on Hudson Valley music is complete without a visit from John Hall. Thanks for doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rick. It's, it's been a joy to be with you. And I'll let you know the next time uh, we're up there, uh, hopefully uh, Orleans will be playing. We have a show booked, a rebook that was canceled because of COVID. It's back on the schedule again. So I'll let you know when that is. Absolutely do that. I'll come out and see you. Love to. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks again, John. Hope we get to talk again sometime. Me too. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Josie Grant. Come back next time, and I promise we'll have another great Hudson Valley artist here for you. We'll see you then.